Okay, I'm just going to dive in. We have a number of scriptures we're going to look at today. Um, if you have your Bible, I'm just going to ask you to sit tight for just a second before you turn in it. Um, but the scriptures we're going to be looking at are on page 6 in your bulletin. If you don't have a Bible, there's a place to take notes on page 7. Um, we're beginning a new series today. Okay, it's, it's a further exploration of the fullness of the gospel. Okay, we've been studying how good is the good news for the last five months. And, and this is good news that keeps getting better and better and better the more we understand it. Uh, when you put your faith in Jesus, your relationship with God changes dramatically. You, you understand that God requires nothing from you. And yet he gives everything to you. That's good news. That's good news. And in the beginning, it's interesting, in the beginning, God made people perfect. And people had perfect relationships with him, perfect relationship with each other. But sin has broken that perfect relationship. Sin has infected our lives. It's damaged people. It's damaged relationships in serious ways. And so the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that God is restoring to us what we've lost. But as he does that, what he gives us is even better than what we had in the beginning. And so God is healing the damage done by sin through the work of Jesus, our Savior. That's the good news. And since April, we've been illustrating the damage that's caused by sin with the story of a drunk driver, right? If you've been around, you remember this story. He caused a wreck that killed two people and then injured four others, including himself. And we've talked about the two kinds of problems that this drunk driver has. He's got legal problems He's got medical problems, right? And these legal and medical are categories um, that, that we can compare to the spiritual problems that we have. We have legal problems with God because of our sin. We're guilty, right? And we also have medical problems, spiritually speaking, in that we don't live and walk the way we're supposed to, okay? And then God saves us from the effects of sin, right? We've been looking at this. God saves us from the effects of sin through the work of Christ, Okay, and so Gary, if you can put the first slide up. We've talked about how the Bible says that we're like trees planted into Christ. Right? God plants us into Jesus, and Jesus' work feeds and nourishes our soul. This is a visual picture of this. The Bible says that when we believe in Jesus, God gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's Ephesians 1.3. And so God comes to us in his presence and his power, and he gives us hundreds, literally hundreds of blessings that come to us from Jesus for this life and for the life to come. And so it's like we're trees planted in the fertile soil of Christ, and he nourishes and strengthens us. And so just like with a tree, with this intricate root system that gets smaller and smaller and smaller, but in order to feed the tree, the roots all coalesce into larger and larger roots. And so we've been talking about this, um, is that we can also categorize the blessings that we get from Jesus into major themes. Okay, and up to this point, we've seen two of these themes. Let me just review them. Next slide. First, we've seen Christ's work for you. So there's like hundreds of blessings that come to us, and they all can be categorized under the idea of Jesus' work for you. Okay, and then this work for you, this solves your legal problems with God. Okay, the legal problem that you have with guilt, it solves your legal problems because Jesus does what you can't. 
Okay, Jesus lived a perfect life. He obeyed God perfectly, and so he earned the blessings of heaven. You can't do that. I can't do that. But Jesus did it for us. And so his death then also takes the punishment that our sins deserve. Again, we couldn't die for our sins, not without going to hell. And so Jesus did that for us. And so God forgives you in justification. And then he adopts you. He accepts you into his family as his son or daughter. This is Christ's work for us. Then second, we have Christ's work in us, right? The second major category of the blessings that flow to us is Christ's work in us. And this addresses your medical problems, the fact that you don't live the way you're supposed to live. This is spiritual healing, spiritual therapy, right? Christ's work in you enables you to grow, right? It enables you to grow. We've seen this. We spent two months looking at this, where God regenerates you. He makes you new from the inside out. And then his Holy Spirit indwells you. So you have God's presence and his power everywhere you go. Well, there's a third way that our sin causes damage. And I want you to think back to the story of the drunk driver. Yes, he has been forgiven by God. Yes, he's been adopted into God's family. He has been given physical therapy and spiritual surgery by God. He's been changed and transformed from the inside. He's a different person. But how can he face the families of his victims? Think about it. No matter how forgiven he is, no matter how different he might be on the inside, how in the world is he going to face the people that he injured? How in the world is he going to face the families of the people that he killed? This is a whole other area of damage that sin does to us. Um, We can talk about how we are broken. We can talk about our relationship with God is broken, but what about our relationships with others? What do we do about the relational problems that we have. So next slide. God and the gospel also addresses the relational problems that sin causes by Christ's work through you. Okay, not Christ for you, not Christ in you, but now it's Christ through you that brings you relational blessings. It brings you the ability to make amends, the ability to actually heal and restore the relationships in your life. And in, this, in these blessings, Jesus changes your relationships. He changes your relationships. And we're going to spend the next two months talking about how the gospel through you changes the relationships in your life. And so what I want to do is before we actually look at the, the beginning of this, I want to just talk about the phrase, Christ, Christ through you, okay? I want to show you this phrase in Scripture so that you'll see it as a biblical category. Okay, so next slide. Romans 15, verses 17 and 18. This is in your bulletin um, down below, the Mark passage. Look at what it says. It says, in Christ Jesus then, this is Paul, the apostle, talking. He says, in Christ, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Okay, so Paul is proud of the work that he's done for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what 
Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So look at this. Paul's ministry, everything that the Apostle Paul did, he describes as what Christ has accomplished through me. So if I had a bulletin and a pen, I would circle the phrase through me or what Christ has accomplished through me. Think about this. This is Paul. So all of his preaching, all of his teaching, all of his helping people to know God, all of the ways that he served and sacrificed, the planting of churches, the building up of churches, preaching the gospel, him writing half of the New Testament, all of this he describes as what Christ has accomplished through me. So friends, this is a biblical category. This is a way that we are supposed to think about the work of Christ. Okay, yes, Christ has done things for you, but that's not all. Yes, he's done things in you, but that's not all. Christ also works through you. Works through you. To say it another way, um, actually, yeah, next slide. Look at this. The gospel covers us with Christ and his perfection, right? Then the gospel fills us with Christ's perfection. And then lastly, the gospel causes Christ's perfection to flow through us to others. Okay, the gospel causes Christ's perfection to flow through us to others. So, what does this gospel through us look like? Right, exactly what does this look like? Um, the Bible shows us in what is called the great commandment. And so let's look in the bulletin in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Someone came to Jesus and asked him a question. Verse 28 says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? He says, hey, Jesus, look, you're here doing miracles, teaching, claiming to be God, claiming to speak on behalf of God. Sum it up for us. Jesus, we want to get a sense of what you're really all about. And so give us, give it to us in a, tweet it to us, Jesus. (laughs) Come on, which commandment? There's over 600 in the Old Testament. Which one? If you could only keep one, Jesus, which one would it be? And Jesus answers in verse 29 to 31. He says, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So this is Jesus' summary. It's interesting. The guy asks for one, Jesus gives him two. Because it's like Jesus is saying, you really can't have, you got to have both in there. He asked me for one, i got to give you two. That's the way it goes. And so Jesus' summary is, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's a summary of Jesus' message. 
This is what Jesus is after. Let's unpack this just a little bit. Jesus is saying, love God with everything that you are. Okay? Think about this. Love God with everything that you are. Every part of who you are needs to love God. Your thinking, your emotions, right? Your feelings, your thoughts, your actions, every part of who you are. God, Jesus says, love God with everything that you are. Then he says, love God with everything that you have. Right? So with everything, not who you are, it's your physical body, right? Who you are as a person, but love God with everything that you have. With your necklace, with your glasses, with your hat, with your shirt, with your shoes, with your flowers, right? With everything, with your pen, with your business cards, right? Everything that you have, love God with it. Love and honor him. Love God with everything that you have. And then love God in every area of your life. In every area. Who you are at home. Who you are at church. Who you are when you show up to life group. Right? You want to love God in every area of your life. When you go to the workplace. Right? When you sit down and are creative. When you pursue your hobbies your relationships. Love God in every area of your life. These are just ways to explain what Jesus is saying. Oh, and then, love your neighbor the way that you would want to be loved. How, do you, how, how would you want to be loved? Have you ever thought about that? Um... What are the ways that you wish somebody would love you? Right, as I thought about that, I thought, well, I'd want to be loved by somebody completely accepting me for who I am. Right, that'd be a pretty wonderful expression of love, or I wouldn't have to hide anything. Um, love for me means understanding where I'm coming from, what I think. Right, someone to show compassion. So not just understanding, but compassion. You know, it, it sort of goes along with acceptance, but that's how I'd want to be loved. Um, I would love to not have to make someone who loves me sacrifice, but I'd want them to be willing to sacrifice. Um, someone who sees the good things that I do and mentions them, like knows when I'm trying hard and sees when I do things right and encourages Respect. It's a way that I would like to be loved. Someone that just has a real, like they think highly of me. Someone who wants to hear what I'm interested in. Whether they're interested or not, they would just want to spend time listening and caring about what I'm interested in. So as I was thinking about this passage, Jesus is saying to me, Stephen, this is great. I love it. Now, love others like that. 
Love others like that. Jesus says, think about how you want to be loved and then go first. Go first. When we think about what Jesus is saying here, as Jesus is summarizing the whole Bible, because in Matthew's version where Jesus talks like this, he says, on these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. Right? That this is a summary of the entire Bible. And so what Jesus is interested most in are two relationships in your life. Jesus is interested in your relationship with God and your relationship with others. So when we think about the work of Christ through us, Jesus wants his work through us to cause us to love God and to love others. That's what it looks like. And so this is radical obedience. If you're going to take Jesus seriously, Jesus is calling us to radical obedience. I mean, when you think about this, when you think about what Jesus is saying and the implications of it, this is, this is crazy, a little bit, right? I mean, the standard is so high, right? In both of these areas, both in loving God and in loving others. And Jesus understands that. Jesus is calling his people to radically obey. So if you have ever thought, whether you're a Christian or if you're just exploring Christianity and you're checking things out, if you've ever felt like, man, Jesus says some pretty crazy things. He, he drives, a, I mean, the standard for Jesus is really high. Well, you're right, you've got it. Jesus consistently calls his followers to obey him in radical ways. To obey him in ways that go so far beyond what we're used to. So this is a radical obedience that Jesus is calling us to. And so I'm standing in front of this because I want you to see this phrase but not see anything else. So, so, now when, I, so when Jesus talks about heart, soul, mind, and strength, let's just kind of walk through this. I mean, in some ways what Jesus is really saying is, look, with everything that you are in every area of life, with all that you have, right? That's what Jesus means. But sometimes there's people who break down this heart, soul, mind, and strength thing in a way that makes even more sense and it kind of helps fill out the meaning of it. And so I heard somebody this week talking about this, and I thought it was really helpful to break it down this way because I think it also then gives us a little bit of a process. If you want to learn how to love God with all of you, um, here's one way to do it. Right? Loving God with your mind. Right? This means that you know how to love God and others. Okay? You know how. You got it up here. You know what God wants. Jesus says you need to do that. You need to know what God wants from you. You need to know what God expects from you. Um, and I think translated, you need to know how to love your neighbor, um, to love your spouse, to love the person you're in relationship with, to love your children, to love your coworkers, to love your neighbors, right? You need to know how to love them. Um, sometimes it's really simple to do that. You just ask. You just ask or figure it out, watch them, and see how they want to be loved. Um, God tells us in his word how to love us. 
And so it starts in the mind, right? You need to know how to love God and others. Then the heart. The heart, it goes from the mind to the will, okay? From the mind to the will that you actually want to love God and others. Okay, so knowing how to do it is step one. But it's not enough. Because how many of you have been in a friendship, in a relationship, in a marriage where you know how to do something, but you don't do it? Right? How many of you know that God wants you to do something and yet you don't do it? Okay? That's not what Jesus, Jesus is calling for radical obedience. You need to know how to love and also you need to want to love. Okay? So Jesus says you want. You, want to get to, you need to get to a place where you want to love God and you want to love others. And you have the soul. And this was interesting this week when I heard somebody talking about this. I thought it was really helpful. Um, with the soul, loving God with your soul, is the idea is that you then integrate this love into your life. Okay? Your soul is the essence of who you are. And so you know how to do it, you want to do it, then you begin to integrate it into your life where you actually realize how this is going to look in practice. Okay? I can't tell you how many times I have been away from the house and I've been inspired either in praying or I was listening to a sermon or I was doing something. I just got inspired that I wanted to love my kids better. Okay? And then I got home and nothing changed. <laughs> like I knew what I needed to do. I wanted to do it, but when I got home, I didn't do it. When I got home, I went the wrong way. Um, loving God with your soul, loving people with your soul, I think says, you know what, this is so important that I'm going to think about what this is going to look like in my life. Okay, so not just love in general, not just, yeah, I really want to do this, but I want to do this so much that I'm thinking about what I am going to do between my car and the front door or between my car and my office, right? I'm imagining the situation, what am I going to do in that place? And so we're integrating this love into our lives. And then Jesus says, love him with all your strength. And this is where you actually do it. You do the things that God loves. You do the things that, that your neighbor does, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your kids, your coworkers, your neighbors, right? And so I think this is a really helpful process as you think about this, as you process this. This is what Jesus is calling for. This is a process for how to radically obey him. Okay? Because Jesus says this is what it's all about. Everything that I do, it's about producing this in you. Now, as we think about this, I don't know about you, but I feel convicted, okay? When I think about this kind of love in every area of my life, with everything that I have, I think, all right, okay, we all need to work on this, right? I mean, all of us um, fall short of this. Um, 
and I, and I want to, and it seems like Jesus is being a little bit hard on us. Right? If this is what Jesus is saying, this is what he's calling us to, man, like what happened to the grace that we've been looking at for the last five months? Right? We've been talking about extravagant grace in the work of Christ for us. Right? Extravagant grace in his work in us. Right? What happened to that? How does radical obedience mesh with extravagant grace? Right? We've got to deal with this, don't we? We've got to bring these things together. Especially if I don't love this way. Like some of you just feel super inspired. The more you understand this kind of love, you're like, oh, I'm in, I'm in. Okay, Lord, okay, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And you're already thinking about the people that you want to love better and fuller and broader. And then some of you, kind of like me, it's like, all right, I'm just, I'm out. Like maybe I shouldn't even call myself a Christian anymore. So how do these things come together? Well, I'm going to give you three quick points to bringing radical obedience together with everything that we've learned about extravagant grace. So, question, yeah, radical obedience versus extravagant grace? Well, the answer is no. Okay, the answer is no. These things actually are both together part of the gospel, okay? When we talk about radical obedience, when we talk about Jesus and the great commandment, we're not leaving the gospel now to go to something else, okay? We're not leaving the good news behind so that now we have to earn it, or now we have to, you know, make it stick, Okay, this is all the gospel. And so, first point is that radical obedience produces holistic repentance. Okay, radical obedience produces holistic repentance. So now instead of having two things, we probably need to have three. Okay, we start with extravagant grace. Okay, and then when Jesus calls us to radically obey oftentimes our first response is going to be to holistically repent. Okay, holistic means in every area of life. Okay? Um, what the call to radical obedience does for us is it shows us the areas where God wants us to grow. Okay? And as we think back over, you know, what we just said, loving God with everything that you are, with everything that you have in every area of life, with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, right? If you're going to do this, if you want to try to do this, you have to acknowledge the fact that, you know what? I don't do this. God's extravagant grace makes it safe for us to be honest about how short we fall. God's extravagant grace allows you to be completely honest because God isn't your judge, he's your savior, He's your father who loves you and cares for you, okay? And so extravagant grace gives us a desire, makes it safe for us to repent. And so you can think about it like this. You can go to the Lord and you can say, okay, Lord, um, I may have done, I may have loved well in some areas, but there's a lot of areas where I don't. And Lord, so in some of the areas of my life, I need to repent. And even in the areas of my life where I feel like I've done well, boy, do I know how to love well? 
uh, do I want to love? Have I integrated that love into the practical outworking of my life? And then am I doing it? Right? Thoughts, attitudes, emotions, actions, right? In all these areas. Um, Jesus' call, we have to take it seriously. Jesus' call to obey enables us, it actually produces in us a desire to repent. So the more you understand what Jesus is calling us to, the more you will repent, the more sin you will see in your life. Okay, and so if you feel more guilt, then that's kind of normal. Okay, you're not doing it wrong. All right, and so extravagant grace produces holistic repentance. And the good news is, is that the moment that you repent, right, the moment that you repent, and even before you repent, God's extravagant grace comes flooding in. Okay? And so this radical obedience encourages us to repent and re-experience God's forgiveness. Right? This is why we do it every Sunday. Okay? It's because I want you to know that this should, this should inform the daily rhythm of your life. Um, so radical obedience produces holistic repentance. Second, Radical obedience flows from extravagant grace. Okay? Your ability to obey comes from God's extravagant grace. Okay? It flows from it. Grace always comes first. Because remember, before we talked about Christ through you, we've got Christ for you who lived a perfect life so you don't have to, right? He died the death he should have died, rose again so that you could be forgiven and accepted by God. That's done. And then Christ's work in you, right? He changes you from the inside out. He gives you a new heart that actually wants to obey, okay? So your mind is informed because God's spirit is in you teaching you his word. Right? then your heart wants to obey because you actually have the heart of Jesus. Remember that new heart? He takes out the heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh. Right? That new heart loves God and loves your neighbor. Okay? And then your soul, you are united to Christ. And so his strength is in you. His presence is in you so that you can now work out what God has worked in. Okay? And so radical obedience always flows from extravagant grace. And this isn't just a construct from other verses. I mean, even in verse 29. I'm sorry, actually, look at verse 30. When Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God. The Lord your God. Uh, the Lord is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is one of the names of God, and it's the covenant-making name of God. Okay when the Old Testament wants to describe God as a covenant maker, as one who makes covenants of salvation and loves people in relationship, he's called Yahweh. So anytime you see the Lord God or the Lord in all capitals in the Old Testament, that's the word Yahweh, okay? And so Jesus is saying, love Yahweh. Love the covenant-making God. Remember that this God that I'm calling you to love, he makes covenants with people. He saves people. Okay? And he's not just the Lord, but he's the Lord, your God. 
So even in this call, even in this commandment to love God with everything that you have and everything that you are, Jesus is making it clear. This isn't just to love the God who makes covenants, but this is to love the God who has made a covenant with you. You have this covenant with God. And so even before Jesus tells you to love him back, he reminds you of God's extravagant grace, that God chose you, that God has a covenant with you, that God has done everything for you to make you his child. He is the Lord your God, and you are to love him. And so grace always comes first. And then the last thing, radical obedience, it's a deeper experience of the gospel. It's a deeper experience of the gospel. Understanding God's grace is amazing. When you understand justification and adoption, these are, these are truths that tell you something about God and the way he relates to you. They tell you that he accepts you just as you are and then brings you into his family and crowns you as his son or a daughter of the king. Right? And then the work of Christ in you Okay, regeneration, the indwelling of the Spirit. This shows that God is a God who wants to restore you and empower you so that you can be new. You can be the person you want to be, and He's with you always. Okay, and so you have this different experience, this other experience of God when you understand regeneration, the indwelling of the Spirit. Well, when you follow the great commandment, when you learn to actually walk in love, you will experience even more of God. You will experience even more of who God is. Because every time you obey, you know what it's like to be Jesus. Every time you obey, it's like you can turn around and you can see Jesus looking at you going, now you understand. When it's hard for you to love someone else at work, at home, in your neighborhood, and you do it, you now understand what it's like to be Jesus. You understand what it was like for him to deal with people who didn't love him back, who didn't want him, right? Or who did want him but wanted a lot of their own stuff too. Right? And this idea of walking in love, when you love God with all of your mind and heart and soul and strength, you understand more of what it was like to be Jesus, who loved God perfectly. And so Jesus doesn't call us to radically obey because he wants us to feel guilty. That's not why he does it. Okay? Jesus doesn't want to just show us that on the scale of righteousness, we are like two millimeters off the ground. That's not why Jesus gives us the commands. You have to understand that. Jesus calls us to obey and calls us to radically obey because Jesus wants us to know him. Jesus wants us to experience life the best life, the life that will last forever. And so he calls us to obey in radical ways because that 
is the next step. Like that's, that's, that's what it means because Jesus is on that path of obedience. And every time you take a step down that path, Jesus is like, man, I'm glad you're here. Now you understand. And you know this when you do it. Like there's times when you love, there's times when you, when you love God, you love others, when it's easy. And you do, you feel this sense of excitement, you feel this sense of joy, you feel this affirmation from God. And then there's times where it's hard and you obey anyways, and you're like, man, like this is awesome. Like I just obeyed, I can't believe it, I just obeyed. You know, um, and I want you to add to that, like that what Jesus is doing here is he wants you to experience even more of his life. He wants you to experience even closer union with him. Because when you do that, Jesus says, yeah, that's my work through you. That's my work through you. So as you walk in this love, as you commit to radically obey, Jesus is there. He was there before you you made this commitment. He's actually working in you. So if you want to make this commitment to radically obey Jesus, that's a result of his work in you, right? That is him regenerating you, right? That's him working out. That's you working out what God is working in. Um, And so when you step out, Jesus says, yes, yes, you are my disciple. And you're gonna, I have so much more in store for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we do confess. Lord, we want to take a moment and just to confess that when we are honest, we have not loved you the way that you call us to. Jesus, you summed it all up and we are we are short. And so as we come, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for loving us first. We thank you that extravagant grace is how we've begun a relationship with you. We thank you that your grace requires nothing and gives everything. Lord, that's the love that you have now put in us. And we want it to flow through us. And so, Jesus, we come to you and ask that you would put on our hearts people, situations, areas of our lives, things that we have, and speak. Speak to us and show us what it would be like for us to love you with everything that we have and everything that we are. This is what we want, Lord. This is what we need. And Jesus, I pray too that for those who are here and don't know you, would you show them that before you ask them to do anything, you have done everything. And let them commit and trust in you, confessing their sins and receiving your gracious forgiveness. Be with us this week, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.